The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. We're going to be looking at the most difficult thing about uh, being a Christian, about living for Christ. I want you to turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and 8. But let me tell you what that thing is. It's uh, learning to live by faith. And living by faith isn't just that you believe something so strongly it becomes true. Living by faith is learning how to live in relationship with a God who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Uh, There's a pattern that we find in the New Covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you're reading about a people who lived under what what we now refer to as the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. But God promised them a New Covenant in which he would give them the spirit and a new heart so that they could live by faith, so they could actually live their life trusting God. And we see this pattern throughout the New Testament. It's always telling us how we must learn to live by faith, to receive from God. This is a basic principle. God pours everything out into our lives, and we must then pour it out into the lives of others. But it's always God who is the supply. It's not that you can hoard this thing, this grace, and build up a big supply of grace, and then you can start giving it away. Rather, you have to, you have to trust God enough that you simply pour out, as God gives you opportunity, pour out his grace in the lives of other people. We see this in all kinds of ways. For example, in John 7, at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus, that's where he cries out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who is believing in me, which that means he who is continually trusting me, out of his innermost being, not into his innermost being, but out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then John explains, he spoke this about the Holy Spirit, who had not yet been given because Christ had not yet been glorified. Christ being glorified then is what initiates the new covenant, because he pours out the spirit. And finally, we receive the spirit as the people of God. And that marks out this entire phase of God's program. Since, since the year about 30 AD, until Jesus comes back, we're living in this new covenant. And we have to learn how to receive from God by faith in order to give it away. So when Jesus says, he who is trusting me, you're living a life of trusting Christ. You actually believe the promise he's made. He's made to you. You believe his statements about what he's given you, how he's equipped you, how he's prepared you to serve him. And so it frees you up, if you believe it, if you're walking by faith, to pour this grace out into the lives of other people. Um, 1 Peter 4.10 is another passage that speaks about this, where Paul says... Uh, as each one has received a gift, use it as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. The, the idea of stewardship is being an administrator or a dispenser of the goods. What's the goods? Well, in the context, it's the manifold grace of God, which simply means the word manifold there is the same word that James uses when he says, uh, all of us are going to experience manifold trials. They're going to be of all shapes and sizes. 
And he says, and so what Peter is saying is, is that God has given you a gift when he saved you. He gave you a gift to dispense his grace. So what, what, one of the most important things about living the Christian life, you cannot become a hoarder of God's grace and experience the blessing of this new covenant. You have to, you have to give it up. Remember what happened in the wilderness when God poured out his grace by giving them manna? You remember manna, right? And in fact, that word means what is it? Because they didn't never seen it before. They didn't know what it was, but it really tasted good. And they made all kinds of, uh, it was God's provision for them. But here was the rule. When you go out to get the manna, because God wanted them to trust him. And so he says, you, when you go gather the manna, just gather enough for one day. That way you'll have to trust me every day. It's kind of like what we pray for in the New Testament. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. We trust God for tomorrow and the next day. And so if they gathered too much, it wasn't too much. It would spoil if they tried to hoard it. And if they gathered a little, it was everything they needed. You see, it was an act of faith. It was faith in God's provision that he was going to be faithful to them. He was going to do what he promised them. Well, that's new covenant living. It's learning how to live a life of trusting God and receiving from him and then pouring out into the lives of others. This is what he's called us to. It's very difficult to learn. I think it's the hardest thing about the Christian life because it flies in the face of everything you've learned growing up in our culture. We're neither consumers nor hoarders, but we are conduits through which the grace of God pours through us into the lives of others. And that's why Jesus said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, not into his innermost being, but out of his innermost being, because you actually have this river in you. It's the Holy Spirit. He's living in you. So when you read passages like Ephesians 1, where it says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, that's very literal. He has put into your life as a believer when you trusted Christ, he has placed within you every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. In other words, you're never going to lack God's supply. And what he wants you to learn how to do is to start giving it away, dispensing his grace into the lives of people. In some Christian groups, it's easy to get this way. We've all been in these kind of groups where it's kind of Phariseeism, where we have it all right, and we despise anybody who doesn't have it all right like us. So we want to identify ourselves. We want to keep ourselves and our kids especially, keep them clear from these people out there. And what that wasn't Jesus, was it? Maybe you think that the reason Jesus could socialize and uh, hang out with people like tax collectors and prostitutes and uh, people of ill repute. You all remember this story when Jesus was having a meal with a Pharisee and they're in his courtyard having this meal. They're reclining a table and this woman comes in and she's known to be a sinner. She's known to be a woman of the streets, but she's heard the gospel. And so she comes in there and she begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. The Pharisee is greatly offended that he would allow this woman to touch him. And that's how Christians can get. We can get that way where we think uh, our biggest goal in life is to not let sinners touch us. 
What, what kind of condition were you in when he found you? What you heard in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians three this morning was, was read is that this new covenant that we're living in is a covenant in which we discover that our adequacy is not in ourselves but in Christ. Romans five says he's introduced us, he's put us in this sphere of grace in which we stand in Christ Jesus. That means grace in Scripture primarily is this. This is a kind of an oversimplification maybe, but it's God giving himself to us. You know, the Bible says that all three members of the Trinity are indwelling you if you're a believer. I mean, that's a stunning thing. Think about that. We sang a song about a response to God's creation. Well, the only way you would ever respond that way is if you actually understood and believed that God is the creator of all things. Then when you look at his creation, you say, what an amazing God. What an amazing God this is. And this is how he wants us to, that's what he, the kind of life he wants us to experience. Uh, you have an interesting thing in the book of Job. Here's Job, who was a righteous man. He was perfect in his generation. And yet, and you get to chapter 38, because Job began to defend himself, because his friends were all saying, the reason you're suffering is because you've sinned against God. And he wasn't aware of any sin, and so he, kept, he started to defend himself, and then he starts accusing God. What's wrong with you, God? Why are you treating me this way? And finally, God shows up in chapter 38. And it's an amazing uh, message that God gives to Job. Uh, Basically, where were you when I created this universe? Did you give me any advice? Have you given me counsel? So you mean, uh, as I think of this in the New Covenant, that God expects us to pour grace out into the lives of people, to manifest the love of Christ to people who've never experienced it. And we think, oh, I, I thought that what being a Christian was was being a really good person and hanging out with really good people. You know, being nice. I heard somebody say this week, I, don't, I haven't checked this out, I don't know if it's true, but the word nice, he said, the Latin, from which, the Latin word from which it's derived actually means a loner. Somebody who doesn't like to mix with people. He's just, he's content by himself. That's not a category that Christians could, should fit into. We are a family. We are a community. And not only that, we welcome anybody who would come into our community, into our lives, into our, our sphere of influence. We want them to hear the truth of this grace of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what happened, this chapter as we're looking at is about something very specific. It's not, chapter uh, 8 and 9 in Second Corinthians is not how to raise, how to take an offering. That's really not what it's about. What it's about is this, that in chapter 11 of Acts, a prophet, a prophet was somebody who was a spokesman, God's spokesman. He could speak as a spokesman for God, as a mouthpiece for God. And in some cases, they would tell what was going to happen in the future, but not that wasn't the typical thing. They, and so Agabus, who was a New Testament prophet, told these disciples of Jesus there was going to be a great famine. A famine was coming, and that Judea was going to be hit hard. And so what happened was they began planning how they could provide for the Christians in Judea. Now, you've got to understand, the Christians in Judea were Jewish Christians. They were the, the Jewish people who received Christ. 
Remember, there were 3,000 of them that came to faith on the day of Pentecost. And by the time that the gospel went to Antioch into Gentile territory, there were about 10,000 Jewish Christians. That is, Jewish people who put their faith in in Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, their Messiah. But what they got offended about was, as the gospel began to go out to the Gentiles, they felt, that, is, that doesn't seem right. We are the people to whom the Messiah came. He's, he's the Messiah of Israel. And so they didn't like the fact that these Gentiles began to receive this grace from Christ. And so what Paul wanted to do He wanted to do something that would clearly display the fact that these Gentiles who had received faith had the same Christ and the same Holy Spirit as these Jewish Christians did. And so how did he do that? Well, because this famine is coming, he decides he's going to appeal to all the Gentile churches to participate in giving them support while they're going through this. And all the Gentile churches responded. And so now, in fact, if you look back at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, right at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, we, we have Paul telling the Corinthians at a, in a previous letter about the fact, he says, in, verse, in chapter 16, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of, the, of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save that he may prosper, as he may prosper, so that no collection will be made when I come. That I don't want to take an offering when I get there. I want to come, and you've already, you've already taken this offering among yourselves, and you're going to provide support for these believers in Judea. He's not raising money for the building fund. He's not raising money for the support of the pastors. He's raising money from these Gentile churches in order to help their brothers and sisters in Judea. Paul had two great missions in his life, or two great projects. One was to get the gospel to all the Gentiles. He wanted to go into all the world and take the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. But the second thing he wanted to do is he wanted to take this offering from the Gentiles to give to their Jewish brothers and sisters so they would know that they were brothers and sisters of these Gentiles. Now, you know how we Christians are. We like to divide up in our kind of people. You know, and that's, that's exactly what was going on among, among, especially the Jews, actually. So Paul wanted to give them a lesson. He wanted to take up an offering and bring it to those Christians in Judea so they could understand the new covenant. It would be a display of the new covenant. The way the new covenant works is God pours it in, his grace into your life, and he wants you to pour it out into the lives of other people. Sounds odd. It sounded odd to the children of Israel when they were receiving manna. They tried to hoard it, and it just rotted away. You can't store up grace. You can't hoard grace. You have to give it away. This is why Paul says that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Because this is how grace works. Grace is given to you so you can give it away. 
But what the real trick is, learning how to continually be receiving the grace of God as you are giving it away. And there's those times when you think, you know, I'm going to wait until God provides for me before I give anything away because I'm not sure if I'll have enough for myself. That's what happened to the the children of Israel in the wilderness. And God says, no, no, I want you to learn how to trust me. This is really what the Christian life is about. It's what the new covenant's about. It's learning to have such a deep, profound trust in Jesus Christ and his willingness to pour out grace into our lives that we can give it away. In, in, when Peter says in, in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, a special gift, you are to use it in dispensing as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That means in dispensing God's grace. Now, that's what a spiritual gift is. It's a God-given, spirit-given ability to dispense God's grace in specific ways. And this is what our Christian life's all about. And this is why we ought to be exactly as we see Jesus in the Gospels. This is exactly what he did. He kept giving himself away. And he wants you to to experience that kind of lifestyle. That's a gift from him. Now, what I'd like to do is read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. It's not very long. Let me read this. Just listen to the flow of this context. Paul says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that, now this is what the grace that was given to them, he describes it now. He says, that in a great ordeal of affliction... Their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed, and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. That's strange. (laughs) Their affliction and their deep poverty mixed with joy overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor. Oh, did you hear that? That isn't the preacher begging the people to give money. It's the people begging to be a part of this offering to give to these needy saints in Judea. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They gave themselves. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. He had sent Titus because they had begged also the Corinthians. They wanted to be a part of this offering. They wanted to be part of giving this gift to their brothers and sisters in Judea. So he had sent Titus because he wanted to make sure it was all done before he got there. And he says, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this genuine work also, this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command. I'm not speaking this as a command, he says. But as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. This is consistent with Paul. He says, I don't want to lord it over your faith. I want to be a co-worker with your joy. 
And so here he says, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. In other words, they wanted to be a part of this. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has. Uh Uh-oh. It's just, you, you can only give out of what you have. You see that? That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? He says, acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and your affliction, but by way of equality at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered, now he's quoting from um, Exodus about the gathering of the man in the wilderness. He says, For as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. I don't know who that is. If you want to find out who it is, read some commentaries. All kinds of guys have their opinions and they don't agree with each other. But it was somebody that they knew well and it was an honorable man. And he says, and not only this, but he also has been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness, taking precautions so that no no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for the brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love of our reason for boasting about you. In other words, he's been bragging on the Corinthians everywhere he went about how they are going to participate in this as well. They have a desire to give to meet the needs of these saints in Judea. And then he goes on in chapter 9, verse 1, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be empty, be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, it Paul's, I love Paul. He didn't like to take offerings. So he didn't want to wait till he got there to take an offering. He wanted them to have it together, and he would oversee the process of taking it back to the Jewish Christians in Judea. He says, otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by, the, by this confidence. Oh, yeah, we thought about doing that, but we changed our minds. 
No, he wanted them to participate in this. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We used to say, we have an offering box over there, and that's the place you ought to hear a lot of laughter, because God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when we give out of a deep, profound joy. I I still remember that saying of John Piper. I learned many, many years ago when he was talking about the beginning of chapter 8, their poverty and affliction, along with their... uh, overwhelming joy result in their giving. He called that an, an overwhelming joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. You can't serve God if you don't have joy. It, it's really tough by, uh, to tell you that, but it's the truth. If you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord comes from, we know this, First Peter chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the joy of the Lord comes from believing Him. One of the ways you can tell if somebody's a believer is they have joy. That isn't giddiness. It's deep, profound joy in God because you're believing Him. You're trusting Him. And so <clears throat> he says, each one must do as he has purpose, as verse 7, in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You may have an abundance for every good deed. If you ever get worried that God's going to put you in a situation where someone has a need and you really desire to meet that need, you can trust God enough to say, he will supply you with what you need in order to bless and to give. Verse 9, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This had great significance to them because in the Old Testament, when the, the people of God lived in Israel, they were totally dependent upon God to control the weather so that their crops would come up. There was an early rain which prepared the soil they could plant, and then the latter rain which was like irrigation system, God's irrigation system. But do you see how dependent you would be on God if you were trusting for rain, especially in California? And that's exactly what they did. They trusted God. And so what he says is the God that supplies seed to the sower and the harvest that comes in from it, then we can trust him when we want him to give to us so that we can give to others. You will be enriched in everything with all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. That is, not only are you going to meet their needs, but they are going to give thanks to God. That's like an offering to God that they give him thanks for blessing them through fellow believers. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And this had special significance because these Jewish people who were followers of Christ were really suspicious of the Gentiles. Because after all, these Gentiles 
uh, were not circumcised. They didn't eat kosher food. They didn't follow the lifestyle of the law because they weren't under the law. And so this made the Jews suspicious of them. Do you remember the story in Galatians that Brian will get into when, uh, when these Jews came from Jerusalem and Peter, who had been having table fellowship with Gentile believers, because they were saved, they had the Holy Spirit, he could have table fellowship with them. But when these Jewish uh, men came up, these Judaizers, he withdrew fellowship from these Gentile Christians. He wouldn't have table fellowship with them. They were like second-class Christians. You, you know what a second-class Christian is? That's somebody that in his group, everybody treats them as though they're not really on the same level with the rest of them. And this happens in all kinds of groups, especially second-blessing groups where, you, where the Christian life is a two-tier thing. You get saved, but then later on you have this second blessing, which makes you a super-Christian, or maybe a third, or a fourth, or a fifth and you've had these incredible experiences, and then you're on a higher plane than the rest of them. And so he says in verse 13, because of the proof given by the ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience and to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. (laughs) All right, let's look at this a second. First of all, notice the characteristics of this new covenant giving back in chapter 8 in verses uh, 1 through 6. And here's what they are. First, it's counterintuitive. If you notice in first, verse 1, as he's talking about this uh, group of people who were giving who had, were in deep poverty. Why would, you, why would they give if they're in deep poverty? God put it on their heart. I've known a lot of people in deep poverty who've given of their own will, not because somebody twisted their arm, not because somebody said, if you give, you'll get rich, but because they had a desire to give and God provided for them to give. And then secondly, he said, it's joyful. It's this overflow of joy that motivated them to give, even in the midst of their difficult circumstance, the churches in Macedonia. And then third is sacrificial. He says, I, uh, verse 3 says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Amazing. And then, fourth, it's free. They gave of their own accord, begging me with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Man, I can't wait until we experience that where people are just begging to be a part of, uh, you know, well, you have actually, I shouldn't say that, you have. I've told you a lot of times about George Hurd's sickness and how uh, he's got the death sentence on him. And uh, here recently, they finally told him, this, his doctor told him, you know, I don't think this medication that the government's supposed to get and give to you is going to be here in time. You're not going to survive. I'll give you a prescription, and maybe you could see if you could buy this medication somewhere. It's very expensive. But he told him a couple places he thought he could get it, in Puerto Rico and in India. Well, it turns out the God that we serve ended up, through a series of events, just supernatural, that an American doctor said, I think I might be able to help him. He goes to the drug company that produces this drug for hepatitis C. They gave him 
a $200,000 supply of the medication and it's being administered by his doctor. Uh, because uh, George is in deep poverty <laughs> and he's very sick and somehow God provides. His doctor told him, I love this, is it? His doctor said to him, uh, you know, I don't, you're not going to live long enough to get this medication because they're not, it isn't happening. And then he says, but having watched your life over the last few years, I have no doubt that God's going to supply for you. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but somehow. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Uh, why, why is that important? Because God is giving him health so that he can continue to do the work of the gospel. It's weird, isn't it? And then it's, it's genuine in verse 5. He says, in this, not as we had expected, but for, they first gave themselves. And then finally, it's grace. This is grace. This is a manifestation of grace. So we urge Titus that he had, as he had pre- previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. This is the dispensing of grace. Now, this is true not just of material things. It isn't just true of giving an offering for needy people. It's also true of your spiritual gift. Now, most of you think that you, you don't really have anything to give away spiritually. You know, if you haven't gone to Bible college, if you haven't gained knowledge in the Bible college, you think, what, what could I possibly give? Yourself. Uh, every one of us has a Bible. And as you know, as you all know, I know you know this, that you should be in the Word every day because that's where you get fed. And so as he feeds you, you can pour this grace out into other people's lives. You don't have to have a three-point outline or anything. You just need to share with them the light that God has given you in his word and how it's touched your heart. Now, sometimes you get corrected and somebody says, well, that's, that's not really what that means. That's good. I need to be corrected all the time. However, I have the Holy Spirit and you have the Holy Spirit and we have the word of God. Expect that God's going to fulfill his promise to feed your soul through his word so that then you can give to others. See, sometimes we don't realize that God has made you a steward of his grace. You have to dispense it. If you don't dispense it, if the, if the river of life doesn't flow out of you, it'll stop flowing in you. And so you, you need to, to make a clear commitment to be receiving from him so that you can give to others. And then the consequences of this, found in verses 7 through 15, four, four things. It gives balance to the Christian life. He says, just as you've abounded in all these other things, now abound in this grace as well. Being a giver isn't like, oh, boy, that guy is really a big giver. I remember talking to a pastor, and he was telling me all this stuff they were doing. I says, wow, how do you do that? He says, oh, we have a big giver. In fact, he used another term. I can't think of what it was. But he had some slang word that he used for this guy. This guy was loaded, and so he would give money. A big hitter. Yeah, I have a big hitter. Well, let me tell you, God is the one who provides in our lives. He he provides a seed that we are to sow in the lives of other people, including our our spiritual gift, uh, our spiritual health. Uh, giving financially and all those things. And, and uh, then he says it, it, gives, it gives balance to the Christian life, and then secondly, it demonstrates the glory of the gospel. 
Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, uh, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this is the gospel. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is the gospel. Through, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That's the gospel. And so when we pour out into other people's lives, it is a manifestation. It's a demonstration of the gospel. If it isn't, then we're not given for the right reason. That's why we have, that's, that must be our motivation. I want to bless you because God has poured so much blessing in my life, I can't contain it. And so we are to pour it out. And then it reveals God's supply. It's so abundant. God's supply to us is so abundant. And, um, and this is why he says, I just want you to finish this work and, and, and actually experience the blessing of being the source of grace in the lives of others. Then he gives these two cautions that are, that's helpful. And that is, the cautions are this. First of all, give through responsible channels. Uh, And Paul goes to great length to express how he is under authority. And he's been appointed to this task. And he's got other men who are going to be with him. Because he wants it to be totally, not only look honest in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of men. And then fulfill your promise as God provides. In other words, you can only give what God provides, right? That's all you can do. You You can give as God provides. And this is all God wants, is for you to have faith in him and in the exercise of your faith to say, I will, I will, I will pass on your grace into, the other people's, into other people's lives. I never want to learn truth that I can't pass on to you. I, I don't want to spend eight hours a day studying the Bible and it, all it does is, is gives me a bigger head and makes me, uh, you know, I got more books, 6,000 books. I got a thousand books on Kindle. Well, how am I going to give you any of that? I'm certainly not going to read those books to you. I'd bore you to death. But let me tell you, if he fills you up, you'll be able to pour it out. And this is the process, is that as we grow in understanding his blessings in our lives, we pass it on to others. You know, there's so many promises that all of us know. We know the promises of God in the New Testament we have been exposed to the promises of God, and we know what they are. It's just that it doesn't have any impact on us. I mean, what impact has Ephesians 1 had on you? That you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And then he goes on to list some of them. You were chosen before the foundation of the world to become holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined you unto adoption as sons. And he goes on, he talks about Christ dying for us, and then about the Spirit coming and being God's seal and God's promise that he's going to fulfill all of his promises. You've been given a ton of promises. So what happens when you're in need? Who do you turn to? Well, sometimes we turn to people. Sometimes we turn to experts instead of turning to the living God who's living inside of us. The Father, Son, and Spirit live in us through the Holy Spirit. And so he wants us to turn to him. The book of Hebrews repeats over and over and over again that God has given us free access to him. He's actually given you an open door. You can go into the very presence of God and let your needs be known to God. And not only that, but there's a high priest there with him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he knows exactly what you're feeling. And he intercedes for us. And then the Spirit who lives in us intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
You have tons of promises. And God wants you to believe those and receive them. And then finally, the fruit of this kind of uh, new covenant giving of ourselves and our means. First of all, the crop will correspond to the sowing. If I sow miserly, I will reap miserly. (laughs) I remember when I learned this. I learned this in 1971 in just about uh, probably, uh, I don't know, about about, uh, September of 1971. God made it so clear to me that the only thing I could invest my life in and my resources in was something that had eternal benefits. Anything else, any kind of other investment you have just pales in insignificance from your investment in eternal things. When God gives you seed to sow, he doesn't want you to hoard it. He wants you to give it away. So he wants you to give away what he's brought you to understand and know about Jesus Christ. He wants you to give it away so that others will be blessed by it as well. And then it'll either be miserly or like showers of blessing, he says in verse 6. It's either going to be in abundance or it's going to be very small. And then secondly, he says it's going to be purposefully, in other words, a decision I make, or it's going to be grievingly and forced. In other words, he doesn't want you to give because somebody twists your arm. He wants you to give because he's filled your heart with the desire to give yourself, to give his grace away, whether that's in the form of material things or spiritual things. And then the crop will only be limited by your capacity to receive the seed from God. The seed he's talking about, he's using this as a picture of giving. It's like sowing seed. And this is not what you hear on TV from prosperity preachers. This isn't so you get rich. It's simply, how would you like to be able to give? In 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells these people, there was a group in the church at Thessalonica, the young church, and there was a group in there that, that didn't want to work. They just wanted to live off of other believers because after all, Jesus was coming soon. And so why should they work? And so he tells them, each one of you, no, this is, he says this actually in Ephesians, but in 1 Thessalonians, that was the problem. In Ephesians, he said, uh, stop stealing and start working with your hands so that you can give to others. <laughs> in other words, the reason that we want God to supply our needs is so that we can give to others. Now, I want to eat. It's obvious I eat. Uh, I eat well. But we want to do more than that, don't we? We want to feed others. We want to feed others the word of God that we are so rich in. And uh, the crop that we're going to see in this whole process is dependent upon our capacity to receive seed from God by faith. This is the hardest thing about the Christian life. That's what I started with. This is the hardest thing in the Christian life is receiving from God by faith. You say, that's not hard. Yes, it is. It's hard. It's easier just to go numb and live your life and, you know, follow some Christian principles about saving and and investing and all that and just live a good life and when you die, you're gone. Instead of living your life for the glory of Christ. Living your life for the glory of Christ. My grandfather, my dad's dad, he died at 52. And uh, I have this 
little book, little journal that my grandmother kept, and she wrote about his death. And the last things he said on his deathbed, he caught pneumonia, preached on Sunday morning, and died on Monday. Uh, he was sick on Sunday when he preached, but he, it was his last message. And he kept saying, I fought, I've uh, fought a good fight. I've finished the faith. There's now far laid up for me this, this treasure. And that's what he had done. He had given his life away. Now, he, it, it's true. He was living during the Depression. We're not in a Depression. He was, he was uh, passing a church in Norman, Oklahoma when he, during the Depression. So what he did was he wanted to feed people, but they didn't have anything. He had seven kids and little money. And so what he did was he started, he got him a wagon, and he would walk through town and take whatever the stores would give him, a day-old food. And then you go back, and they would prepare a meal. Twice a day, they fed 150 people, not church people. These were people traveling through the territory that were looking for food and for sustenance. And he actually thought pastoring this little old mission church and feeding 150 people a day was worth it. And so did everybody else when he died. They had a full-page article about him about this guy that pastored this little church, and he fed people every day, two meals a day. I, I saw this movie on Netflix. If you have Netflix, you ought to watch it. It's called Undivided. And it's about a church in Portland, Oregon, that adopted a school in Oregon, uh, Roosevelt High School. It was, it's in an area where it's a really, it's really rough area and a lot of very huge problems within this school. They adopted this. They didn't know what they were getting into. And uh, they began to minister to the needs of this school. And it just, it was just, it's an amazing story of how this happened. It ended up the school, they were so blessed by these people who simply gave themselves away. I mean, crazy. They gave themselves away to, to these students and families. And so the school decided that they had been so blessed by this, this church who came in and ministered in a hundred different kinds of ways. So they gave them an office. The church has an office in the school. <laughs> Amazing. That's, that's just the gospel. That's, we are on mission. We are on mission to give ourselves away in this world so that people can come to know who Christ is. What kind of Savior is this? This is a Savior that loves people, broken people, all people. He loved the worst of people. That was what the uh, Pharisees had against him. They didn't like the fact that he actually cared about the lowliest in that culture. See, that's the gospel. And then finally, the crop will be made up of two things. One, their needs will be met. But the other is an overflow of thanksgiving to God. They will, they will offer up sacrifices of praise to God because God used you as a conduit through which his grace was poured out into their lives. And see, what Paul's doing here is, like I say, he's not taking an offering. He is simply explaining to them, this is why you give, and this is how you give. This isn't earning you anything. This is blessing your socks off because you've opened up your heart to the grace of God, and you're pouring it out into other people's lives. That's how our Christian life is to be lived. Our Christian life is to be lived by faith, that's expressed in several ways in the New Testament. For example, in your relationship to the Spirit, you're to walk in the Spirit. Totally depend upon the Spirit to empower you to walk and live your Christian life. You're to abide in Christ. You're to rest in what Christ has done as your assurance that you're right with God. 
And you're to present yourself to the Father, which means you're to enter into his presence continually. And he will give you grace so that you can pour it out. What I'm getting at is that's the purpose of grace. That's why you've been given grace, so you can pour it out. He just wants you to pour it out. He wants you to give it to others. That means even loving some people are never going to love you. Showing love to people who may never show you love. But he says that not only will needs be met, but there will be an overflow of thanksgiving to God through our pouring out his grace into the lives of one another and to needy people all around us. When I say needy people, I'm not just talking about the poor. I'm talking about people who don't have Christ. If you don't have Christ here, if you're here this morning, you don't have Christ, you're poor, spiritually poor, because you were created to be a worshiper of God. You're wired to worship. You're going to worship something. You are worshiping something. But what Christ has done, he has provided a way for you to be brought into the kingdom and to worship the one living and true God who made you to worship. Let me pray. Bow your heads, please. Father, we... uh, give ourselves to you. We want to be conduits through your grace is poured out. We confess to you there are times we poor mouth ourselves. We act as though we're so needy when in fact you've blessed us abundantly far beyond our ability to even describe. We are a blessed people. You've enriched us with the gospel. You've enriched us, Father, with all the blessings of salvation. You've blessed us with the word of God. We actually have wisdom in this book for all of life. We pray that we would take it in and it would become planted deep in our hearts and lives so that we could give it to others. We ask you to energize this process in us, Father. Help us to encourage one another. I pray nobody would leave here today without talking to one another about the living God and about your graciousness to us. Help us to share ourselves, our lives, the grace that you're giving us with one another, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Respond to this message or learn more. Please visit calvarytruth.org.